Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, how's it going? Going great, Mon, going fantastic. Yeah, what are you grateful for this morning? I'm grateful for my dad. Oh, really? My dad is the most amazing guy on the planet. How come? He is my hero. You're getting a um, jump I on Father's always... Day. Sorry? You're getting a jump on Father's Day. Yeah, that's not for like two weeks, right? It's his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Pop! Yeah, absolutely. It's his birthday today. So, um, yep. My dad is actually a genius. I believe it. I've heard some stories. Yeah. He is actually a genius. If you got a if you got a problem to solve, um, you know, engineering kind of problem, he will find a solution for it. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yep, lived in Africa, done a whole bunch of stuff. Done all, yeah, yeah, you name it, he's figured it out and uh, and solved it. So what happened with you then? Didn't pass down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you left yourself wide open there, Lyle. I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. You're a chip I don't, off I don't, the old I don't, block. I don't need to be a problem solver. When I got a dad like my dad, he's my hero. But not only that, you know, he is a deeply spiritual person. Yeah. Uh, he is an inspiration to me in his walk with God, mm-hmm. and always has been throughout my entire life. Um, had a tremendous impact on me, and uh, and how I've lived my life, and the kind of life that I've lived, and the kind of person that I am today is is really because of. Is because my dad. A lot of who we are is because of our fathers. So yeah, we definitely need to be gearing up for a nice Father's Day to really thank them. So yeah, and I get to thank him before Father's Day because yeah, it's yeah, birthday. Yeah. yeah, I bet he thought that was pretty sucky when he was growing up with kids. We're having the two is your no. birthday and okay, that's right then. That's right no, then. I don't know that I ever gave him. Two and one presents present. are the worst. I don't remember. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this was really something really. We, our family wasn't never big on presents. It wasn't our oh, love okay. language. Yeah, I don't think anyone in our family had presents as a love language. Fair enough. Fair enough. <coughs> Even as a kid, you didn't want to get stuff. Ah, oh, Christmas. Um, Christmas was definitely exciting. You know, you go to you, you go to bed on Christmas Eve, and you would wonder how you would be able to wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Or no, you'd wonder how you'd be able to go to sleep at night. I should say it's like I'm going to lay here all night staring at the ceiling because it's Christmas tomorrow. But you know, it come and go, and be like, yeah, wasn't wasn't our love language. Well, we have a great show coming up for you today. This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the tune in radio app. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in at the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, the same was in at the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. So 
That was the promise. The word was God. Here on Faith FM, let's have a word of a quiz. Okay. I'll have a several word. words about this quiz. This is not a who am I quiz this morning. Uh, we'll give you the first clue. If you think you know the answer, you can give us a call. We do this every morning. We have a breakfast Bible quiz. Uh, I give clues every segment. Uh, we get easier and easier as it goes along. If you think you know the answer, you can call in at any time. Uh, our number here is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Uh, you can even text your guesses, 0491-064-669. You can guess multiple times. We don't care. Uh, but I'm going to give you the first clue now. Who am I? I told the people of Israel that if I was in charge and they came to me with a complaint, I would see that they got justice. Oh. Mm. Of course, if you get it right, you don't just get bragging rights, you also get a prize. And if you don't want the prize, that's fine. If we have a lot of people who play along uh, who just like to have bragging rights, then they... Oh, uh, Lyle is correct. Lyle has written down it's the correct kind, answer kind of vaguely me. related to things we were talking about yesterday. Which is why I didn't want you to talk about them too much, because I knew that, you know, when I asked about the thing, I was like, don't say any names. So, yeah. Don't say any names. Just don't say anything, Lyle. I'll say lots of things. No, no, no. Don't say nothing about the quiz. Yeah, give this us a call. This person had... Uh, no, no, no. Stop. What that... is wrong with you? <laughs> give me <laughs> the mute button. No, no. You're going to give away future clues. <laughs> we need to get that mute button fixed so I can have control over it again. Can we have the iPad fixed ASAP, please? Ever since we got that new computer, I haven't had the iPad. The iPad controls the mute button, which controls Lyle, and I really need that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone give me the iPad. Uh, Lyle. Yes. I'm so excited. It's another one of those. You're days. always so excited. I know. Every morning you are so excited. I know. Excited. I, that's because I get to do the good news, and I love doing the good news because it just oh, it just makes my day so much brighter. And I find that I talk about the good news that I've shared on the show later on in the day with other people. That's and interesting, just, isn't it? I do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it just spreads good news further. Uh huh. Like, it's so cool. Like I, I feel like my life is abundantly more positive. blessed because of more positive. This. Yeah, yeah. But what I really love is like, because I, I do, I prep at home, prep my stories at home while I'm getting ready for the day. And uh, well, to be honest, while well, I'm still lying in my cozy bed. <laughs> and uh, and then I come to work and I listen to um, I listen to the news in the car on the way down. And uh, and often like, you know, the news is pretty depressing. And, uh, and so I just go with the stories I've prepped. But every now and then I'll hear some breaking news where I'm like, that's is amazing and at the last minute i'll like change out my stories and it today is one of those days today, cool. and last time we did this it was because um the saint vinton's hospital in sydney had declared that there had been no alcohol related deaths since the lockout yes. laws that yes. was the last time this yes. happened so you can yes. imagine how excited i am today 
because it's happened again. More news of that caliber, Lyle. Get no this. way. Get this. No way. Get this. Rates of underage drinking have plummeted across the world over the last decade amid growing trend of millennials shunning alcohol. Yes. Isn't that amazing? The, the, I'm the so battle stoked. is being won. I remember. I, I remember as a teenager. Uh, you know, my generation, X generations, uh, it was just the thing, you know, to, to, to try and get drunk and, and get as drunk as possible. Yeah. And as soon as we turned 18, you know, they had the big 18 party and everybody would try and get as drunk as possible. Uh-huh. And when I was at tech, you know, you'd go out um, in the evenings after after tech when we were staying at the student residence. And, of course, the student res closed at 11 o'clock. So it was like the, the, the guys would be on a mission mm-hmm. to see how much alcohol they could drink before 11 o'clock and see how drunk they could get before 11 o'clock. So and it stupid. was, you know, you go camping and the purpose for going camping was to just sit around the campfire and, and get as drunk as possible. And it was just the dumbest, stupidest it's- generation ever. Yeah. And I am glad to see that millennials have wised up and gone, you know what? This is really, really dumb. Because you dumb. spend a bunch of money and then you don't remember anything. Oh, yeah. No, this because you're like, blackout drunk. Point? You remember nothing. So you basically didn't have the experience, but you've paid a lot of money and your health has paid a lot for it too. And, I'm- and I never drank, not a drop. Yes. But, you know, all my friends did, you know, and I, I, I always used to scratch my head and like, what, what the heck are you guys doing? Mm. This is not even fun. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that yeah. we're, the tide is turning and we're going the way that smoking went. Smoking is almost stamped out in Australia and worldwide is is being seen a lot more darkly. Uh, people aren't uh, nearly as accepting of smoking anymore. And I, I really hope that alcohol goes to same well, way. Well, it, it, it will do because um, lawsuits are going to send it that way. Yeah. In a litigious society, it's going to go that way. Part of the difference is and what's slowing it down is that the alcohol industry has studied very closely what happened to mm-hmm. smoking and have been able to create, um, you know, five, ten, and twenty-year strategies with very powerful uh, lobby groups to be able to stave it off as long as they can. But it's inevitable. Yeah, my I remember my dad telling me this story one time about how um, they were they uh, they surveyed um, the youth living in in Champagne in the region where Champagne comes from um, in in France and discovered that the youth there they actually don't like the taste of it. They just drink it because they think it's some sort of tradition or, or important Yeah, because to the, the TV tells you area. that if you don't drink, then you're not... But they don't actually like it at all. Yeah. And do you know what else is staggering? How many people... It's just rotten grapes. What, what is it? Yeah. You eat rotten fruit for? What is staggering is how many people who work um, at like at high levels for alcohol companies don't drink their own product. That just speaks volumes. They're like, no, I never touched the stuff. And it's like, well, hang on. Why? <laughs> uh, but this is this is incredible. They've studied uh, 63 nations. Uh, so the United Kingdom, the UK, has recorded the biggest drop, um, with Australia and Germany experiencing a similar decline. Um, this is amazing. The US has also got, had uh, rates drop, but not as significantly as the rest of those, which um, is so great. Uh, so the underage drinking um, shrunk by 40% between 2010 and 2014, so just in that four-year gap alone, because this is over the last decade that they, um, they've been studying this. This is, this is so cool. Um, it's, it's, uh, they're just shutting alcohol. Like the, that, and this is one of the good things that's coming out of the millennial generation is that I think with the access to social media, we're able to, they're able to see themselves in the light of other countries a bit more. They're able to see themselves in the light of themselves as well because, That's I mean, how many videos get posted exactly. up of drunk people doing dumb things and like, wait a minute, uh-huh. 
you know, because in the past it's like everyone would wake up the next day and couldn't remember it or tell a few wild right. stories. Yep. But now it's like, yeah, you're plastered all over social yep. media being an absolute idiot because of the alcohol. And people are like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, and this, this is coming like um – uh, there's been actors, you know, famous people like David Hasselhoff and the guy that was in the Muppets movie, uh, Jason Segal, um, and these kind of guys who they were, they were on the brink of alcoholism, and uh, and someone in their family, like uh, David Hasselhoff's daughter and Jason Segal's assistant, one day just whipped out their phone and videoed them drunk. And later on when they sobered up, showed it to them, and both of them stated that when they saw the video of how they behaved when they drunk. They said, "No, I'm done with drinking." Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. it's 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 one of the surprising positive elements of having access to phones and cameras and and, and, and video recorders and social media at all times. Um, yeah, because people do get blackout drunk and they don't remember stuff. But then it's just the 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 bullying, the shame, the horror that comes with uh, having something that you did go online. Well, here's the thing. Around. Here's the thing. I have a bit of a theory about being blackout drunk because, and and maybe your experience is a little bit different to this, but. When I talked to my friends, all of them admitted that they were never actually fully blackout drunk and they could remember it, but oh. they used it as an excuse to cover over how stupid they were. But oh. now in the days of phones and videos, of course, there's no covering for that. The only yeah. way that you can cover for that is by not getting drunk in the first place. Yeah. It's like they don't want to remember. I have a solution, by the way. I have a oh, solution yeah, for on, everybody who is working in the alcohol industry. Mm-hmm. Instead of producing alcoholic beverages, produce ethanol. Uh, okay. What? what race cars run on? Oh, <laughs> you know, take so you a, want to take see a, an incra- yes. increase in our take sports a, Take racing. all of that. Take all of that. Uh, you know, all that negative stuff that is destroying society, and produce something that is just amazing and is good for society. I.e., race cars. Uh, do you know what? But they could make, make it available to me cheaper, so I can <laughs> drive. <laughs> yes. Decrease this in is drinking, a solution. I increase have solved in accidents the on the freeway. <laughs> um, or they could just use it to help the medical medical society, uh, medical uh, industry, because you know they they use a lot of ethanol, like for disinfecting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, cleaning. yeah. Boring. No, Come but on. they could donate that to, to third world countries who need help with hygiene issues. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Be, do you know yeah. what? Here, yeah, look, dude, we're going to supply your hospitals drop, drop with a lifetime price, supply of the, disinfectant. Uh-huh. Or drop the price of fuel in uh, developing countries that they can actually put fuel in their vehicles. Yeah, that too. There, there is a great way that, they, that the alcohol companies can sort of repurpose their, their yes. business. Turn grapes into petrol. I like it. <laughs> I would have thought. This is Anna Beaton with Healy. I'm sure it can be done. <laughs> God sent his son. They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died To buy my pardon An empty grave is there to prove My Saviour lives Because he lives Because 
I was Anna Beaton with He Lives. You listen to Faith FM and we're about to have another clue for our quiz. Who am I? After I had my brother killed, two years passed before I could see the face of the king. Okay, so this guy was a rather dodgy character. Yeah, who kills their brother, man? That's yeah. harsh. He was um very, very unworthy individual. Speaking of unworthy individuals, uh, there is a bill before the Victorian Parliament right now, which is a very, very worthy bill in relationship to very, very unworthy individuals, mm-hmm. uh, which is normally the case with our governments. Um, you know, most of the time they're making uh, good laws um, to uh, you know, protect us and, and make good society, and this is one of those laws. Okay. Um, and this is a bill that will strip the Catholic Church of its exemption from mandatory reporting. Amen. This is something we've been campaigning on here on Faith FM 4 for the last couple of years, Sign and it's good to up. see that at least one state is actually doing something about it. Are they actually going forward with it, or are they just dabbling oh, at the moment? The, uh, the, the, the Labor Party made an election promise um, before they didn't get in that they would do it if they did get in, and so now that uh, now it's going to have bipartisan support, this is going to go through. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but breaks the legal protection from the confessional. Now, this is the situation in Victoria. Um, so teachers, police, um, anyone in the medical professional profession, uh, counsellors, um, early childhood, uh, youth justice workers, etc., are Basically all, anyone who works with kids. All mandatory reporters. Yep. Except ministers of religion. That's not good. Okay, so they've got an exemption there for ministers of religion to provide for the Roman Catholic Church. Now, that exemption only provides for the Roman Catholic Church because no other church has um, something that is equivalent to the confessional. Mm -hmm. And so they're simply going to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to remove that exemption. And, of course, every other church outside of the Roman Catholic Church in Victoria makes mandatory reporting for their clergy already anyway. Yeah. And so the, the Catholic Church is the only one who stood back and said, no, we're not going to have uh, mandatory reporting. We can have a situation, um, and they have had many of them, uh, where priests have confessed to abusing children for decades, mm-hmm. and nothing's been done about it because they did it inside the confessional. Um, and so you've got people like um, Michael McBride who confessed more than 30 times to other priests that he was abusing children. Oh, my goodness. And they did and nothing. nothing was done about it. How can they, nothing how can they was think done about they're it. acting in the, in the grace, like in the, in the favor of God? How can they think that that's what God wants, for them to stand by and do nothing? Yeah, it, it, this raises some really, really interesting questions. I genuinely believe that standing by and doing nothing Now, of course, here sin. in New South Wales, all ministers, myself included, are mandatory reporters. Mm-hmm. Except the Roman Catholic Church, so the exemption here is a little bit different because it only applies, as, uh, as my understanding is, it only applies Isn't to the Roman Catholic Church. Isn't it sickening? Oh, it's absolutely sickening. Where the problem is the biggest is where the, the mandatory reporting doesn't exist. Well, this is what the Royal Commission brought out. Your two biggest issues with uh, the Roman Catholic Church that they need to address was the seal of the confessional, and the confessional is just basically the world's greatest grooming device. Mm-hmm. And the celibacy of the priesthood. Solve those two problems. Bring your church into you know the current century. It's two thousand nineteen guys. Yep. Bring it out of the dark ages, and you know face up and deal with it. These are not these are not biblical mandates. Mm-hmm. This is tradition. You can change your tradition. We have traditions in our church, and traditions are good. But if the traditions are bad, we change them. I would love to see this change happen in the Catholic Church. For them to oh, change those would, two things. It would be just so amazing. It would. Can you imagine? 
It'd be incredible. I think if they started with the whole celibacy, I think it would clear up a lot of the whole confessional box issues. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So basically, this is what this is what. Uh, okay. So if you're a Roman Catholic priest um, and uh, another priest comes to you and confesses that they've been messing with children, you in Victoria now are going to be faced with two choices. Uh, and that will either be hellfire or jail. Mm-hmm. So if you really believe it, and we assume that if you're a priest, you actually really believe in this, right? So let's assume that you're a priest and you really believe in it. Your options when another priest comes to you and confesses is either jail or hellfire. Now for the priest who is confessing, his options are either to confess or go to eternal hellfire. So this is this is good legislation. This is going to put the pressure on priests to behave. Yeah. Because for the perpetrator, they're going to have an option between confessing or hellfire. The moment that they confess, they have now either sent their confessor to either jail or hellfire. Because if their confessor breaks the seal of the confessional and goes to the police, he's automatically condemned to eternal hellfire. He's excommunicated from the church, which means eternal hellfire. Uh, The penalty for breaking the seal of the confessional in the Roman Catholic Church is excommunication, which is another word for you're automatically going to hellfire. Right? So he is either going to choose to tell the police and go to eternal hellfire, or he's going to choose that he's not going to tell the police and he's going to obviously risk going to jail. So this creates a really bad scenario all around for anyone who is either a perpetrator or is confessed to by a perpetrator. I hate to say it, Lyle, but I think if you're so far gone that you're abusing children, you probably just don't care about hellfire. And this is a very, very valid point. But let's say that you do, because why would you know, Michael McBride, for instance, confess 30 times to another priest? It's because he's afraid of hellfire. That's why he's doing it. That's a good point. There's no other reason. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah. how can you, you know, how is it? And this is the problem with the confessional. The confessional creates a, it's basically an indulgence. You can yeah. indulge yourself in sin so like long as you go to a vending machine of forgiveness. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so it's a very, very, very unhealthy situation. So, but my question is to you, Mon. All right, let's say, that, uh, let's say that you're a priest and somebody comes to you and they confess that they are abusing children. What do you do? Oh, <clears throat> because I don't have any sort of like Catholic... Okay, but let's say that you truly believe that you'll go to eternal hellfire. Which one are you going to choose? Eternal hellfire or jail time, if that's your choice. Do you know what that makes you realize? It makes you realize the teaching of the Catholic Church is, is dichotomous to the, to the moral stand. Oh, absolutely. Moral of the of the world. Um, that's really hard. Okay, now here's the only moral thing that a priest could do at this particular point. Mm-hmm. The only moral thing that they could do, and this is actually biblical. The biblical expectation would be that they would choose hellfire. Mm-hmm. And let me, give you, let me give you this from the Bible, because here you've got sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sacrifice themselves so that they can protect yeah. the children. Mm-hmm. That is the biblical expectation. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so if you, I'll give you a really good example of this, and this is Moses. So Moses goes up into the mountain. He's meeting with God. He's up there for um, like a month, and he is receiving the Ten Commandments and you know talking with God, and he comes back down, and the Israelites have gone into idolatry while he's gone. 
they can see, you know, the the visible presence of God on top of the mountain. And they're like, well, Moses is gone. We don't know where he's gone. Maybe God killed him. We don't know. So let's. Um, so they've gone into idolatry. He comes down, and of course, you know, God is really upset about what has taken place. And God's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This this group of people that we've brought out of Egypt, they're obviously a failure. They've been too long in slavery. They're too broken. I'm going to destroy all of these people and I will build up a great nation from you and the Messiah can come through you and I'll start afresh with you because you've done the right thing by me. And Moses makes this reply. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. Mm. And then he pauses and he says, And if not, Blot me, I pray you, out of the book which you have written. He chooses hellfire for himself. He sacrifices himself for his own people. He becomes an intercessor. He stands in the way. If you're truly going to have confessional here on this earth, then the only way you can truly have confessional, and if you're truly going to look to priests and to human beings as a mediator, then they need to be people who are prepared to choose hellfire over, um, you know, in, 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 to protect the children that are entrusted to their care. And if they're not prepared to do that, they are not living up to the Bible standard. I know that's a high standard. You know, where would we stand if those circumstances arose? We can only say, we can only answer that when those circumstances do arise, but that is the biblical standard. And so every priest, regardless of the legislation, should be choosing hellfire in preference uh, to protect the children that have been entrusted to his care. Some pretty heavy stuff that's going on right here. Of course, the archbishops have uh, told that they will refuse, stated that they will refuse to obey this law. Anyway, uh, this is uh, Laura Story with Blessings. We pray for blessings We pray for peace Comfort for family Protection while we sleep We pray for healing For prosperity We pray for your mighty hand To ease our suffering And all the while You hear each spoken need Yet love is way too much To give us lesser things Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops What if your healing comes through tears What if a thousand sleepless nights Are what it takes to know you're near What if trials of this life Are your mercies in disguise We cry in anger when we cannot 
not feel you near We doubt your goodness We doubt your love As if every promise from your word is not enough Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. And joining me in the studio this morning is Bob Kalaf from Eyes for India. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lyle. Now, I am super excited to have this particular charity um, here in the studio. Of course, you're an uh, incorporated association, not-for-profit, who is raising money for work in India and doing an amazing uh, job over there. Can you just give us a bit of an introduction? What part of India are you working in? And Eyes for India, obviously that has something to do with eyesight. Yes, Lyle, uh, it's in the Punjab area, Kashmir Valley, northwest of India, mm-hmm. and it's to do with cataract surgery. Okay, so you're not just dealing with, you're not dealing with you know, glasses and optometry so much, but you're actually dealing with surgery. So, you know, and, and cataracts, I guess, that can make people go completely blind? It does indeed. 
Okay, so you got you got quite a few people over there. I imagine that uh, would be um, completely blind. And outside of your uh, charity that you're running here, do they really have? You know, what kind of a people group are you working with? Are these the kind of people that have other options? No option at all. They're the poorest of the poor. They can't afford anything, so we have to supply all their needs, be it medication, the operation, accommodation. We supply everything. Okay, so if you did not step in and supply uh, their, their, their needs and their surgery, obviously here in this situation, what would their future be? They'd be re- remain blind. Okay, so if you want to imagine this for a moment uh, or for a little while just to get your your head around this, I would suggest you put a blindfold on for a day and then think about living the rest of your life like that. And yet really a cataract operation is a fairly simple procedure, isn't it? It By modern day standards? It is simple, yes, yes. And uh, when somebody goes in for one of these procedures, the actual procedure itself, how long does it take? Well... The doctor that does it, Dr. Jacob Prabarka, he actually does it within two or three minutes. Okay, so a two to three minute operation with obviously medications um, either side of that operation and people have their eyesight restored. That's what you're saying? Indeed. Mm. And outside of that, they would be condemned to a lifetime of blindness. And it is worse than that. We have little old ladies that can't even go to the toilet on their own. They have to be led sometimes by a man into a hole in the ground somewhere else. It's quite... It restores their dignity by giving them the sight. Sometimes you often don't think about all of the implications that a disability brings and how that, you know, it affects just the entire life. Um, so that's that's truly amazing. Now, um, when we talk about the, uh, you, you mentioned you're up in the Punjab, the Kashmir area of India. Um, you're working with a hospital there. What, which hospital do you work with? Ruby Nelson Hospital. Okay, then this is a Seventh-day Adventist it's Christian hospital? It's owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Is this a Christian area of India? Uh, no. Okay, so you, you know, Hindu people, they're Muslim people. Okay, they're all Hindus um, that you're working with there. Okay, how big is this hospital? I understand it's a fairly small hospital. How many well, beds it's smaller, approximately? Well, it's small as, as far as we're concerned in Australia. Um, it is, uh, it's six acres of land altogether, so it has a lot of potential for growth. But I think it's about 30 or 40 beds. But when we have the operation, we in fact have something like two and three, four hundred people there, which we have to not only medicate, operate, and then we have to house them. Okay, so when that, when the, when the, uh, when each one of these Eyes for India events takes place, you've actually got a, a large group of people that come in at the same time and then you, I guess you form a, uh, a, a chain of people and just roll them through one after the other after the other. It must be amazing, you know, to be there, you know, the day or two after when those bandages come off and you've got three to 400 people that see there, you know, that, that have eyesight for the first time. Lyle, I haven't been there, but I, we see uh, images of them praising God for this uh, particular ministry, praising God that they've been restored sight. Whereabouts do you billet them during this time? In the hospital, on the hospital grounds, on the floors of the hospital, and sometimes we have more. They have to be floored. They have to be housed in on the floor of a Hindu temple. Okay, now I want to I want to throw this challenge out to our Christian community here in Australia. If this kind of event was taking place in your community, would you open your church doors? For the poorest of the poor, the homeless bums on the street to come and sleep in your church during an event like that. The Hindus are willing to open the doors to their temple, 
would you open the doors to your church? That's a challenge for us here in Australia, isn't it? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. No, but I think that uh, you know the Hindus probably have one up on a lot of us here in Australia right now because we think we've got such a lovely, clean church and we've spent so many million dollars building it, and uh, we don't want you know dirty, smelly people who um, have diseased eyes. Uh, sleeping in our church, it's going to you know, going to turn up for worship service on a Sunday morning or a Sabbath morning, whatever it might be, and the church is going to have a you know that that body odor to it. We we would be averse to that in this country, wouldn't we? One would think so, yeah. uh, but one would hope not. And uh, I take my hat off to the Hindu community over there for supporting their poor and for opening up their temples to be used as. Uh, as billets for these people when they come in for these healing events that are taking place. Okay, um, there's some political strife over there at the moment. Has any of this uh, impacted what you're doing? No, it hasn't impacted what we're doing, no. That's fantastic. It's good to see that, um, you know, good works like this, they sort of, uh, they go over the top of the politics, don't they? Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, how much does it cost? To get one of these operations, you know, here in Australia, that's going to cost you a fair chunk of money. Um, how much is it going to cost? Yes, to- we guarantee for every seventy-five dollars, one person's sight will be restored, whether there's one eye or two eyes as well. It'll be seventy-five dollars will restore, regardless sight, of whether it's one or regardless two. Regardless of whether it's one or two, most of them only have got one eye, but the ones that have two, seventy-five dollars will give them complete sight. Okay, so you can change somebody's life. Today. Indeed. You know, when you think about blindness, all right, try going blind for a day, think about that for the rest of your life, and think about how exciting it would be to have that eyesight restored. And right now, as a listener, today, you have it within your power because, you know, we can all afford $75. Um, You have it within your power to completely transform another individual's life today that's pretty powerful when you think about it yes. you know we don't often get uh, opportunities to to affect another person's life so dramatically do you have volunteers you mentioned that you don't uh, travel over there obviously you're um, the director of this project here in australia and so your job is fundraising for these um, events do you have volunteers from australia heading over there Yes, we do. Uh, we have, we've had volunteers go over there. In fact, we just had a reconnaissance group going over there to see what we could do to be able to restore and help the hospital itself, which has, uh, it has its own needs. But that's a division of the Eyes for India, not a right. division of it's Eyes for India is one thing and then restoring the hospital is another. And that's okay, another. so there's two separate projects. Two so if separate you give projects. your $75 today, it will restore a person's that'll eyesight. Go for, that'll go for the eyes. Yes. Yes. Um, and if you want to help restore the actual hospital itself, then uh, you can contact. Uh, I'm going to give all the contact details out here in a moment. In fact, um, I will give out um, this phone number right now, 0418-826-279. That is 0418-826-279. Um, or you can email at donate at eyesforindia.org.au. I'll have a whole bunch more uh, information that I'm going to give out further on in the show and you know we might even put together a little bit of an ad for this one because this is something that you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about, something that I want to see uh, some, some take place. So far, how many people has Eyes for India been able to help? How, much, how many, how many uh, you know, 
How much eyesight have you been able to restore? Well, from Australia, we've gone over the 8,000. We're now targeting for 10,000. But it's a pittance compared with the need. And that's just out of Australia? Out of Australia. That is fantastic. That is amazing. Praise God for Aussies standing up and helping other human beings in other parts of the world, human beings that we will probably never meet. Yes. But will be thankful for the rest of their lives uh, for what you have been able to do for them. Now, you know, here in Australia, you know, we, we do this over there for $75. Here in Australia, a cataract operation, that's going to cost you like, what, six to 10 grand, something like oh, that? Oh, yes. It costs you a fortune, mm. but uh, we can do so much with so little. Mm. Well, I was, a, I was a pharmacist, and the medication costs a lot more than that. The medication alone. Pre-op medication, post-op medication costs more than what we're uh, needing for the total, for the total operation, including medication, including housing them, and including feeding them as well. Okay, so you feed, you feed, we feed them as well. Feed them as well. We go out to their villages. We bring them in because they can't afford to come in. Okay, we have a bus that goes out there. We have a lot of workers over there going out, bringing them into the hospital for their operation. How do you choose the ones that come in for the operation and ones that don't? Well, we have to have a clinic. We have clinics in various parts. Okay, so it's a mobile clinic or a clinic? A mobile clinic. Okay, yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. And uh, so you take the mobile clinic out there. What's the, what's the actual process? Step me through the process. If somebody uh, comes to the mobile cl- clinic and they're struggling with their eyesight, what's the process from there through to having that eyesight restored? Okay, we have the professionals there, the optometrists that go there, and they can see whether it is cataract uh, surgery that's needed. Once we know that, we then book them in, and then sooner or later we go back there. Once funds arrive, and they have enough funds to be able to uh, Okay, so they're booked in, pending funds. Pending funds, Mm -hmm. yes. And once that's done, we go out there, collect them, bring them into the hospital, and we have them there for about a week. How often do you run one of these week-long events? Uh, This is happening probably about every month. Oh, really? Mm. Wow. So we'd have about 10 or 12 a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, and that's based on the on on fundraising? On fundraising. Okay. Mm. So you have an event once the money is there. Without, without the money, we can't do it. Mm-hmm. How big of an area around uh, the hospital do you service? How, how far from the hospital do you travel? Um, probably within uh, driving distance. So I would say 40, 50 miles. And there are that kilometers. many people. You, you've you've affected ten thousand people within a uh, you know fifty say hundred kilometer radius. Yes, that's it. That's 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 a, and it really does. It highlights uh, an issue that here in a first world in a developed country we just really don't stop and think about because yeah people get cataracts and they go to the hospital and they get it sorted out, problem solved, they move on with their lives. And we don't realise just how common this would be and how many people would be blind in our community if, you know, the poverty was at the level that it is in uh, in this particular part of India. Okay, um, now when you are ministering to these people, do you do you have an opportunity to minister to them in a spiritual way as well? Yes, we do indeed. In fact, that's the very purpose of it. One thing is to restore sight, which makes us feel. That we've done something. In yeah, a that's a good. Way. That's a good thing in, in in and of itself. But we make a point of telling them that this is from their Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. That's uh, we're doing this for Him, mm-hmm. and they acknowledge that. In fact, you'll see scenes where they have their hands clasped. Uh, 
pointed to the air saying, we thank Jesus for this. And we give them a Bible written in their own language. We give them a copy of Steps to Christ. They have sunglasses, post-op medication. And we even go back to their villages after two days, six days and two weeks to make sure that they're okay. So we go back and make sure that they're all under control. That the operation has been successful Indeed. and that yes. no infections have set in. And that. Mm. Do you have a lot of problems with infections working in a developing country like this? You know, the hospital boasts zero infection and that is rare. That no is rare. way. Here's a little <laughs> hospital in India, uh-huh. a little hospital which we own mm-hmm. that has zero infection. In fact, the doctor himself... He's so meticulous. When he's going to do an operation on two or 300 people in the one day, he will not eat of the morning. He will not have a drink in the morning because it takes hours to gown up. And once he gets the operation, he will keep going until the last patient has been seen. And that could be two, three and 400 people in the one day. And okay, he, okay. I'm, I'm just. I had this doctor's name written down here. I'm going to read this doctor's name for you because this guy, this guy needs a uh, shout out. Doctor, where did I put it down? What Do- was it? Doctor Jacob Prabarka. Doctor Jacob Prabarka uh, from the Ruby Nelson Hospital. Ruby Nelson Hospital in uh, the Punjab re- region of India. Massive shout out from Faith FM Radio this morning. You are a hero. And so in many ways what you're doing would be similar to, say, Fred Hollow, something like that. Indeed. Uh, they operate obviously in Africa. They're not operating in, in, in India. But you're I think operating. they are branching into India, but okay. we have a specific we, – we give a total package. Sure, sure. And you also go out to the villages rather than have people come in, which – But they have to be operated at the hospital. Yes. Mm. So you go out and bring, and bring yes, the people in. Yes. All right, so how do we get in contact with um, Eyes for India? Tell us all about it. Well, an easy one too. You've given the phone number, which is 0418-826-279. But we also have what they call the phone, uh, phone telephone, which is 1300 numeral 4 India, I-N-D-I-A. Okay, 1300 4 India. India. I like that. That works. And we also have a post office box, 261 Kurumbong, 2265. And there's a website here, www.eyesforindia.org.au um, and a Facebook page, Eyes for India Oceania. Um, so here's a number of different ways. And, of course, um, donate at eyesforindia.org.au is the email address. Okay, so once again, that phone number is 0418-826-279 um, to um, restore somebody's sight Today, or just simply contact us here, 1-800-324-843 is our number, and we can get you in contact with Eyes for India. Bob Kalaf, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Lyle. Grace came down and opened us like flowers. Love came flowing gently like a stream. Kept us safe for a little while Till the waves rose higher and higher We learned in time those waters must recede But of this I'm sure The past don't own us anymore My soul stole apart 
to Faith FM, Positively Different Radio. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. You are 
to suffer for his kingdom because he was not ashamed to die for me he was not ashamed to die for me i am not ashamed of jesus christ